This call is now being recorded. Welcome to the V2V Podcast Survivor Series. Uh, my name is Marcus Parrish, and with me today is Alexi Lindez. Today Hi. we are talking to uh, TJ Nelson. Um, he is the director of a documentary film called Last Stop, specifically about the Elan School in Maine that was extremely controversial. They ended up shutting down in 2011, but they existed from 1975 to that point, and um, he's going to kind of discuss um, his film and the trouble teen industry in general, and we're just going to see where this goes because it's obviously something that we're continuing to talk about on this uh, channel and in the series, so um, I guess we'll just leave it at that and, and welcome TJ. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, so usually what we do when we have people on the show is ask them to define in their own words what the trouble teen industry is, um, kind of in an unbiased way, like as if we don't really even know what what that means. So um, we like to get different perspectives, and generally what we find out is is they match up pretty equally with everybody coming from all parts of the country stating what, in fact, therapeutic boarding schools are all about. So what do you see the troubled teen industry as from your point of view? Um, if I could define it in, you're asking like a, a very simple definition? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a broad definition of, of you know, what it's all about. Um, I mean, it's kind of an open open-ended question like right right uh, so you can I, answer I in your say, own way right so i would say that the trouble teen industry is a set of uh institutions and practices that have been put in place to rehabilitate teenagers that are having trouble um at home and in society i think that would be the, the that's most the, boiled down definition right now that's that's their stated goal um, right I mean that's what that's what all the glossy advertising says that's what the sales pitch says um, right. is that true I um, mean, from your perspective is that well, actually the case right unfortunately I think it's a lot more complicated than that um, partly because the industry doesn't actually have any official oversight so that simple definition that I gave doesn't really couldn't doesn't really hold up too well um, in a perfect world it would but because of the lack of oversight, uh, the lack of training, um, a lot of these institutions start to become abusive. Right. Are you familiar um, with uh, institutions that are currently active, or have you limited your your research to to Elon uh, specifically? Well, I know that there's still a lot of um, troubled teen institutions out there that um, that are still practicing that are still very that are still controversial. Um, I don't know about a lot of them because there's millions. Um, right. So I couldn't, you know, I can't pinpoint anyone. I just know about the one that I went to, uh, where sure. it came from, where the influence came from, where the practices came from, and how it expanded you know, expanded out. So uh, I can't pinpoint any any that are active right now. I think 
Uh, is it Judge Rottenberg? Is that is that what it's called, the Judge Rottenberg Center or something like that? Yeah, that's still active. Yeah. Yeah. So there's one. Um, but otherwise, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're aware. We're we're personally aware of, of many, and we do investigative research uh, shows uh, on specific um, programs that are still in operation in order to um, spread awareness about what what they say they are compared to what they actually do and and the and choose credentials to do what they say they are capable of doing and what we and, found. And can I can I add one more thing real quick? Yeah, go ahead. The definition sure. that I gave. Um, and I should put this forth before uh, we continue. When, when I did this project and started this, first of all, I'm not an activist. You know what I mean? I'm not. I'm not here to fight this problem. Um, right. Because I still, I do think that there are uh, places that that need to exist to help kids that are having trouble with their lives. You know what I mean? Oh, likewise. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, in mm-hmm. fact. In fact, part of what this is about, part of the search or, or this this uh, process that we've been doing for six months, this series, is really to not only expose bad practices, but to truly search for, and we haven't found it yet, frankly, but a good place, right. um, you know, a, a place that's ethical and kind and communicative and care, actually cares about kids and have has a staff that is not only qualified but eager to help and mm-hmm. we just haven't found that place yet they may exist but either they're I'm, not and I'm, I'm sure doing a lot do. of effort yeah <laughs> right. right so until then you know until we can find um, a business model and a group of people that actually is doing quote unquote the right thing so that we can perhaps have a, a talk with them and then maybe even redirect parents of troubled teens to go there to serve as um, you know as advertising in a sense um, we're going to keep on uncovering I mean kind of like what you did with with The Last Stop I mean this wasn't um, I want to get more into talking about the film itself but um, I mean that certainly wasn't advocacy that you're uh, I mean in uh, we're getting a copy sent to us in the mail Mm-hmm. Um, I've only seen the clips, but um, um, so that's going to be really interesting to to see the, the full version. But I saw the yeah. little um, documentary from NBC years ago that um, it sounds. I guess you. Pro- I don't know if you based a lot of that on that or got inspiration from to do the documentary from that. Expose, well, but well, um, the inspiration. It was re- really my, interesting and yeah. harrowing. And yeah. your own experiences, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what? All right. So you went to Ilan, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, I was what in Ilan like from uh, for you? during the later. I was in Ilan during the later years, from 2005 to 2000, and I believe it was seven. Maybe uh, near oh, the end okay. of 2007. Um, now, uh, the two people you had on uh, prior to me, um, Anne and Mark, they were there uh, way before I was. Um, and right, I think Mark Mark only went for in one year in 1975, like near, near in the early days, for sure. Yeah, he was there in 75, and then Anne was there. I think during the, the early 80s, and that that time was really like the zenith. That was that was when Alan was really in uh, full force, when it was growing very rapidly. They had multiple campuses, uh, more people working there, a lot more kids. 
Um, and that was also when a lot of the practices were a lot more brutal than they were when I was there. It was still pretty brutal, and it was still pretty pretty extreme. Uh, you know, we still had the general meetings where, you know, 50 people come up and scream in your face, you know, kids being put in corners for month on, months on end. Um, right. You know, etc. But it had certainly calmed down in the sense that, you know, uh, they weren't putting people in costumes or uh, beating them up in the ring. The ring was gone a, a few years before I came. Um, so a lot of those more barbaric practices were were gone by the time that I got there. I wonder, though, sometimes now you, you you can like, and maybe Alexi, I'd like to hear from your point of view too. I think that sometimes those blatantly barbaric practices they draw so much negative attention because it's obviously a negative thing, right? That. The schools get more subtle and and are able to play more. I guess what would would be more I would define as more psychologically subtle manipulation, coercion, that kind of thing. With right, and that and I'm still using still using like the peer to peer pressure uh, from the leveling up and gaining more permissions and more freedom. Oh yeah, all that all that was. But to earn but to earn that you have to you have to enforce. The rules to the uh, newer kids, the younger kids. So I mean, I know that stuff still exists, but it's yeah. not. It doesn't. It doesn't appear on the surface to be, well, certainly as as horrific as some of these other practices. But I think I don't know if it's any less dangerous in my from my point of view. What do you? Th- no, no, I, no. It's, 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 uh... Alexi, are you there? Yeah, I am here. You have, you have anything to add about that? Because I know that you you went had a kind of a combination of of different um, yeah methods. I mean, used. Um, I think on the surface it definitely. You know, I I think when I when I first went into TCI at at fourteen, um, the first place I went to definitely had way more barbaric practices than the second place. However, when I was think that? The sec- that was nineteen ninety six. Oh, okay. Um, and then I went to the second place in 98, which was in Utah. And I think that that was, uh, that was a lot more, um, kind of subtle, but it still had parts of it that were bad. Alexi, can I, I can think I we've lost program it. you were in? Cause I, I don't know. Yeah, I was in, um, I was in Devereaux in Houston, Texas, and then okay. I was moved to, Heritage School in Provo, Utah. Okay, I'm not familiar with either of those, so... I'm yeah, not, uh, in my background... My background is not in in, in the cult industry. I was uh, I was broke into Scientology as a teenager. And oh. And obviously a little different. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> which uses similar practices, at least the psychological stuff, or the, uh, all the love bombing, you know, the... Right. And the big hugs and you're the most important person here and then shortly after that it's like if you ever if you leave here you're going to die that kind of stuff so it's yes there are definitely parallels but um so I, I think we all you know realize what we're that we're talking about is the idea of behavior modification with kids right. and i just don't know if i buy it yet. i just don't know i um and i know i We've spoken to a lot of people who are, you know, certainly are activists and are opposed to to whisking away kids to, to go somewhere where 
they're removed from real life experiences to be and then to be thrust back out into the world with kind of a new set of ideas about how the world works and right from what we've seen and from what I've seen personally it doesn't necessarily work it's all very confusing when you get back when you put someone in these conditions um, and then they go back out in the world that's not the way the world works you can't berate somebody about their faults for hours they're going to hit you in the face or they're going to or they're just going to leave or they're not right. going to pay any attention to you um, right so I was asking about <clears throat> Whether or not, because I, I know a lot of people say, oh, you know, there were a lot of benefits. It was bad. It was hard. It was like tough. It was like brutal. But it 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 changed my life. It set me on the quote unquote right path, and I was able to then begin as a young adult to leave a or live a normal life again. But I hear the counter so often too. Like I'm, I, you know, all these people. Um, you know, I, I, I personally feel like, like, if I sat down with someone who said that, though, like, I could easily tell them, you know, talk to them, and within a few minutes have them pretty much agreeing that, you know, there could have been a better way. There could have been an in-home intervention. There could have been something done where the child didn't have to be, you know, removed from their environment. I mean, I... I that's just my point of view, but how about you, TJ? Well, I would agree with that to an extent. Um, I, w- I would say that personally, like I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm 31 years old, and I still remember my, my childhood pretty vividly, uh, or my teenage years pretty vividly, and I still have a lot of friends from those years. Um, I would say that the problem, one of the problems with, again, I brought this up before, one of the problems with this industry is that there is no scientific data and there's no there's no way to tell what will help a kid being taken out of the home and what will help them being kept in the home because one of the practices of these schools is they, they don't really do any um, intake psychological profiling they might do a little bit like a little fake little test just to make sure but really they just want the money you know so they're sure. just going to take anybody you know and that's one of the biggest problems it's just that they, they don't they're they're for profit and they're going to take anybody who walks through those doors Maybe maybe right. one kid maybe maybe a kid could have been helped at home, you know maybe they could have done something else, but they don't care because they want the money. Right. So I mean, in a lot of cases, because they're they're defined as they're often they have uh, each institution has like a multiple definitions about regarding what they do. Their right. school, their treatment center, their their something else, their their uh, camp. And so what happens is often, as as opposed to a like a drug treatment center, like per, per se, uh, insurance is accepted. So it's, there's a lot of out of pocket paying, and there's a school in um, in Utah. Um, oh, which which one is that called, Alexi? Can you refresh my memory? Which one? Oh, it's the one we just did the expose on. Heritage. Um, no, I forget. Anyway, I forget the name of it. It's in Provo. Oh, Diamond Ranch. Yeah. Diamond Ranch Academy. Okay, so Diamond Ranch Academy, uh, out of pocket, uh, is a hundred and thirty to one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year. So I think in a lot of these cases. Wow. And, and <laughs> from the from the test and from the testimonials that that we've received from kids who've gone there, their parents had the means and were just bored of being parents. In a lot of cases, like. Right. Their their kids smoke a joint. Oh, there's a great excuse to uh, 
to just remove them, get them out of our hair for, you know, 12 months. And, and I don't, and in a lot of cases, I don't think the, the parents really care or they've contributed to the trauma to begin with. It's right. And, and you know, if, really if the, inst- if the, if this, if an institution had any, any legitimate clout and actually did care about the kid, they would, they would say to the parent, do you just want to put your kid in here to get rid of him? And if that's the case, maybe we should be talking to, to you about your problems. But they won't do that. You know what no, I mean? No, they won't do that. And that's, obviously because of the money involved. It's incredible. And, and this place exactly. specifically, I want to get to your documentary, but, but this place specifically, they're also a 501c3 nonprofit, which is, that blows my mind. Um, we, I looked at their financials and, and the director, he, he borrows a million dollars a year out of the, the charitable fund. I mean, just outrageous. Um, and, right. and they say that they are dealing with kids on the spectrum, but they're, but who are also bad. And, and right. those, those two, I, I, like, points of view don't really match up. Right. Um, but, so, I mean, that's, I mean, in a, in a, in a kind of an extended way, we, I suppose we have kind of defined the troubled teen industry. Um, so I'd, I'd like to talk and hear from you about, you know, what motivated you to, uh, to make this documentary and, um, you know, how, how did that happen? Right. Well, um, one of the things that motivated me to make the film was the fact that there really was no, um, documentary that I could find or, or film anything on, on, you know, uh, a film format that really dived into the nuts and bolts of, um, of these institutions. Um, so, and I found Alan, you know, after getting out of Alan, I kind of put it on the back burner for a while. I didn't even think about it anymore. And sure. it got to the point where I was, I was kind of searching for, you know, I do filmmaking for a living. I'm an editor by trade. I was looking for a project to work on, you know, just to, to, to keep me busy and, you know, a, a project that I couldn't, you know, exercise my skills with. And Alan came up and I started to dig into Alan, its history, um, you know, the groups on Facebook, people talking about it. And I was like, wow, you know, this, this needs to be on film. This should be on film. You know, this is, it, this, it's a much crazier story than I realized. Cause you don't really think about it when you're, you know, if you're in one of these institutions, a lot of the times you go through and then you get out, you forget about it, and then, you know, the feelings will come up later. Yeah. So that's what really kicked it off. So what, what are the, I mean, can you kind of explain, like, because, um, obviously most of anyone who's listening to this hasn't heard it, heard, heard of your movie or, or certainly seen it. I'm, I'm going to, of course, direct people to the Last Stop website so people can check out the preview and, you know, purchase your, your movie. Um, right. So, yeah. But what, how does, what's the story? Like, what, is there, is it kind of like, is there, you follow certain people through, through their tale and their recollections and how does, like, what's the format of the movie? Well, the form, well, so what I wanted to do, again, like I said, I really wanted to explore the nuts and bolts of the program. So the, the film goes through the history of Elan, its creation, uh, where the idea came from, who created it, all the way up until it's shut down. So it go- goes through the history, you know, all up until the day that, you know, Elan closed. 
Um, right. And I, it's and a, it's I, an amazing story. Like, right. Yeah. It's well, it is. It's like and, outrageously and, crazy. Yeah. And you needed to, to tell the story correctly. You need to account for, you know, uh, you know, when it was, you know, back in the 70s when it was created all the way up until it was shut down in the 2000s. Um, so I got people right. from each generation, you know, a few people from each generation to tell their story and to construct the, um, to reconstruct the program and its history, you know, on film. And I, and I really wanted to, and I, and I, and I hope I accomplished going, again, going into the notes about how the program worked, what the daily schedule was like, what the punishments were like, what the, what the goal was, you know, and, so people can get a good understanding of exactly what this was, because a lot of a lot of like, you know, you mentioned the NBC story, and and there was another little story about it, uh, a little documentary about it called uh, Children of Darkness. It really doesn't dive mm-hmm. into how the program worked, which is really what I wanted to 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 touch on. Okay, right. I, right. I think it's like super important to sort of paint a picture for the general audience to understand what it what 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 it's like inside, you know. And right. Yeah. Because people, th- you know, you could say like, okay, well, you know, there was a boxing ring, people were dressed up in costumes or whatever. But the real, the real, the hardcore aspect of the program was the program itself. It was just, it was how it right. was moving up the ranks. It was getting permission to talk to somebody, um, you know, down to, you know, uh, getting a, a general meeting for picking up a pencil off the ground and why that's wrong. If you pick up a pencil, that's not yours. You know, in the real world, you don't think about that. You see something on the ground, pick it up and throw it away. But in a program, no, <laughs> it's not that simple. Right. So that's that's interesting. Um, so I guess from from your point of view, and if, if you do, you think that actually serves a, a purpose in the in the real world to like do that kind of thing? Um, or I mean, it has obviously has some effect. But, um, right. Well, here's what I'll say. I mean, how did that? How did it kind of affect you, though? Well, like, here's here's what I'll say. That type of excessive, extreme analysis of yourself—why picking up a pencil off the floor is considered stealing—and why that relates to your troublesome, uh, you know, uh, pathology—and why you know picking up a pencil off the ground is the same thing as stealing a car in real life—I understand mm-hmm. the connection you're trying to make, but right. It, that can literally drive a person crazy when you're doing it day after day after day after day. And when every, again, it's not just a pencil, it's every little thing, you know, taking the biggest brownie at the table, you know, everything, it can drive a person crazy. Right. On a smaller scale, right. maybe you could look at that as, you know, like how, how, how does that work with your mind and how does that work with your thought process, but not on, on, a, on a constant grand scale. <clears throat> sure, I'll give you a good example. So, um, I manage a, a sober living home, and uh, everyone's assigned chores, like uh, you know, a daily chore. You got to clean the bathroom, uh, wipe down the kitchen counters, that kind of thing. It's just a normal thing that people do in, in homes that they live in. People pay rent here; they can come and go as they please. Um, but if you miss a chore, you may get um, a, a writing assignment. You have to, and it's kind of uh, more meditative. Like if you miss a chore during during the day uh, and it, it's noted uh, you you may be assigned a, a 500 word essay on the importance of doing your chore generally speaking there's not enough there's too many words to write to explain the importance of doing your chore so it goes more to writing whatever it is that you feel like writing on two on uh, two sides of one page but right. 
but it's not punishment it's more meditating on why we all need to do this stuff together and um no one reads it uh it's just an exercise and it doesn't happen every day because if it did happen every day what that would mean is that you probably won't aren't suited to live here if you're not going to pull your weight right but there's no you know there's no it's different because there's no coercion and no one berates you and i mean we're all adults for one thing that that it makes a little bit of a difference but um I, mean, I don't know. I, it's, it's, I, I feel, get, I get I feel the difference. About this stuff. It's, 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 uh, it's almost overwhelming to me that, to even like recall some of the things that, that I was made to do uh, in, in the cult. And I know that Alexi has similar stories and, and you do as well. That, that just the, the constant, you know, real fear that uh, we as kids were living under, under you know, in these uh, institutional formats. And... If there's anything that we, uh, Alexi and I, want to do regarding uh, these places, is to, is to spread awareness by talking to people like you and, and encouraging people to to see this movie, to you know, to find out what really goes on. Even today, this is not just about the past. This is, this is stuff that still goes on in other places, hundreds of places all over the country. Right. Um, uh, so I just wanted to make that uh, differentiation between. Um, what's beneficial and and what is uh, abusive? You were talking about um, uh, the the house that you work at and how if somebody misses a chore, you make them you have them write an essay. All right, I hear you acknowledge that that there's a difference between uh, punishment and and you know duty to you know the place that you live. Um, right, and and, 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 and that... I'll add on to that by saying you know if if you miss a chore, like what didn't relate this to being at home when you were a kid. You could punish mm-hmm. missing a chore. Uh, there's nothing wrong with, with teaching a kid that. You know, you got to do your chores. you got to right. be responsible. Right, right. But, uh, but in Oman, the, the level of, um, I guess you could say, committing a crime to punishment was so molecular. You know what I mean? It was so like like just dropping a little piece of gum on the like, or just picking up a little piece of gum. It was like, oh, now you're going to get it. That, 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 that creates a fear. You know what I mean? And that's why people in a lot, and I'm sure in, in all these institutions, you're constantly on edge and you're constantly scared that you're going to get in trouble. It, it's right. a lot like um, when you teach a dog to go outside in the bathroom. Um, <laughs> well, it is. it's, it's kind of like that because if a dog, you know, if, if, if it pees on the carpet, you can't just, just walk in an hour later, hit the dog, and send it outside. I won't understand, you know? No, so, and, and I think there are par- parallels to... Um, Okay, so you have a kid who's misbehaving, skipping school. I don't know what they're doing. They're doing something. They're they're involved in petty crime, which is a different route. If if your kid's doing criminal activity, that's there's a different route for that. That's you know there's a criminal justice system as flawed as that is that that may be the more appropriate way to go. But or that you know I don't know they're experimenting with drugs or whatever they're doing. So you put you put your kid in an institution, and months months later they're continuing to be punished for the things that they did. Months earlier, right, right or right. wrong, whatever, whatever the level of, uh, of, uh, I, I, the word, I guess discipline, you know, uh, should have been back then is being applied much later. And, and there's a, there, I guess there would be like a cognitive dissonance that doesn't allow someone or certainly 
certainly a dog peeing on the floor, you know, and hours later you hit the dog peeing on the floor. Or a kid who uh, did something he shouldn't have done, and then months later you're still uh, punishing for it. It doesn't. Right. It doesn't work. It's, it's not effective. No, it doesn't. It's only especially going to drive the kid further into isolation and uh, anger, insolence, fear, all those, all those things that that you're trying or you're supposedly trying to alleviate. A lot of times, you're just sinking the stuff deeper into their subconscious so that they may not react anymore because they want to get with the program and behave for fear of punishment. But once they're out in the world again. It's, uh, it's it's quite a different story in, in the right, and, and it's and you know when you do something when you're a child, that's why you know parents really need to. And I, you know I, I don't know, what, but or parents thinking of having trouble with their kids. Well, these problems because there's a reason it's called the troubled teen industry. It's because it's for teenagers, even though there were very young kids in the program I was at. It was mostly teenagers. Sure. When you're at that teenage, right. when you're at that age. It's your natural um, proclivity to rebel, you know, and that's, yeah, and that's right. not a good age to teach a kid something. I mean, it, it is kind of a good age to teach, but it's not a good age to teach kids core values they need because they're going to rebel. Well, know? their brains are still developing. They don't have a lot of impulse control. I mean, this, this is, right. these are known scientific facts. Like they, it takes you till, you know, uh, someone's really about 25 years old before everything kind of solidifies into the real person that they will continue to be throughout right. the rest of their life. Until then, right. there's like synapses and impulses that are still kind of being developed and formed and, and you're still kind of figuring out the world. You know, because as a, as an infant, for instance, everything that a baby sees is brand new, like all the time. Like every new experience is that new thing, brand like. Right. And over time, of course, we, we start recognizing oh that's not a novel thing anymore I know what that is that's dog that's my pup that's my puppy that's my dog right you know, and, and then there's another dog oh that's a, you know you realize oh that's a different dog there are two dogs now <laughs> and right. you know as you go through life you become used to things and and it's harder to surprise people you know peekaboo doesn't work anymore right stuff like that but so those same kinds of concepts of, of things being new um, to someone young should be allowed like you yeah. sh kids should be allowed to try things make mistakes get in trouble right. certainly and right. and I don't think the option really should be to send them away it just seems that you're, you're uh, abdicating your obligation as a parent in a lot of ways like Parent your kid, you know, like unless right. you're right. the problem. <laughs> and a lot of times right. that seems to be the case too. That the parents themselves are the issue. I I spoke to a psychologist who he became a psychologist to figure out his kid and what he realized was that he was the one he was a troubled parent and he invited his troubled son into his life and they and they figured stuff out together and then wrote a book about it. It's pretty fascinating. Um that sounds cool. But, uh, but yeah, the guy's name is, uh, Kevin Fall. He was a sales guy and he was having trouble and he, and he got divorced and moved and then went back to school and, and his teammate's son was having all kinds of problems at home. So he invited his son to move in with him into his, like, college environment as an adult. 
Right. And then the kids started having more problems. He was like, now he's on a camp, college campus. He's drinking, partying. And what the parent did, what this, uh, this guy did was to further open himself up to letting his son express all this stuff to him. And they, they, they just figured it out. I mean, that's not the case with everybody, but there are situations where I know that there are different options. And I think, uh, I think that's really the message that I want, you know, we're trying to convey here is that we're not necessarily bashing every technique that's used, even in these institutions, but the right. overall picture isn't good. Um, right, right, right. I don't see, I don't see people truly recovering. I see people, frankly, in, in a lot of cases, killing themselves or ODing on drugs or, or not thriving. Like, <clears throat> Alexei uh, had to get off the phone, but in his case, he really only, and he's, uh, he's in his mid-30s, and only really very recently has he, and partially because of what we're doing here, and what has begun to kind of transcend all this stuff and realize that he's still not living under that shadow of, of these programs. It, it took a long time for him to kind of break out of his shell, and that's one of the reasons we started doing this, these interviews. It was... Right. And... It allowed, it allowed me to help him. And when I was telling one of was was looking, um, my goal was to uh, create a conversation. Oh, I didn't mm -hmm. think right. about how and abuse and this and that. People are just going to walk away and be like, okay, that's bad. That's it. Um, right. Conversation. The goal should be, okay, well, how... What works, what doesn't, how can we fix the problems we have with the trouble in the that, that because there right. are people that need help out there. There, there are. Um, yeah. And no matter that, if, you know, if some to talk to them or, or whatever, uh, at a younger age, they might be in a better place now. There's a lot of people out Sure. So I would hope to film um, that they that they can you know take a step back and just kind of start coming up with ideas and start wondering address this. Absolutely. So I think we're gonna uh, wrap it up. It's a nice place to end on a um, you know a little a uh, little bit of hope. Um, yeah. And I want to encourage people to uh, check out your film, The Last Stop. I will uh, post uh, a link to it and to also r remind people that we're not just talking about the past. I know that, that you're looking backwards to what you and other people have been through. But this stuff still continues. You know, it's still going on. It's, it's very hard to uncover because these are private institutions. They don't have to really disclose a lot of information to the public. I know that um, they're governed on a state-by-state -state basis, if you want to call it governed. And, right. and going back to the Utah thing, um, the regulation is, that, or one of the regulations is that this facility needs to be inspected once a year by someone who probably has, um, has been given... Um, like a heads up that the, oh the inspector's coming let's let's put all out all the nice fruit bowls and clean the kids up and only and 
put away the uh, the angry kids and, and let's put on a big show for yeah, and that's, and that's actually government. one of the things that, <laughs> that's one of the things that, that got a lot because, uh, Bjork, uh, which okay. a lot of kids, of course. Like, oh, alright. Did they, uh, when Alan got investigated, they would have somebody with, they were coming back out. Mm-hmm. They just opened the door and said, we need to, we need to look around. After that, it's the room. All right. Well, you're cutting out a little bit, um, so uh, I guess uh, rather than uh, prolong the uh, this torture of uh, not being able to hear you clearly, I'm going to uh, say thank you, TJ, uh, TJ Nelson. Uh, thank you. Made a movie called The Last Stop, and it is available, and we will post the link in the description. And I really appreciate you coming on, and um, I hope we can do this again, and, and uh, with less technical difficulties. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> All right, thanks a lot, man. I'll talk to you later. Okay. Bye.